Advancing Public Health with Wearables, Strategic Development of IOMT Biosensing Lifestyle Devices, Episode 4, Using the Innovation Roadmap to Address Wearable IOMT Challenges Yielding Innovations, Stop 1, Market Exploration, Discovering Opportunities, and Stop Number 2, the technology innovation in the R&D process. Today, we're speaking with Christopher Montalbano. He's the co-owner of MIDI Medical Product Development. Chris, for, for new listeners joining the podcast, can you provide some quick background here about MIDI? It would be my pleasure, Matt. Uh, MIDI is a medical device development firm located right outside of New York City, and we've been in business over 45 years, assisting clients in conceptualizing and commercializing their medical devices. And we utilize a unique process called development DNA, which infuses innovation and competitive differentiation into the device while conforming with the FDA QSR and ISO 1345. Thanks for that background, Chris. Now, this appears to be quite an extensive topic with many associated intricacies. How do you recommend stepping us through the medical device development innovation roadmap? Absolutely, Matt. The best way to step through this is to do what's called pinching in or zooming out on the map. Or for those of us, myself included, who remember using paper maps, we're going to open up the map to see the entire scope first and discuss the three key stops along this innovation journey. And they include stop one, market exploration, discovering opportunities, stop two, technology innovations, and the R&D process, and stop three, commercialization and implementation, which is getting ready for market. So depending upon the maturity of a team's medical device development program will determine if you deploy extensive activities at each of these three stops, or in some instances, pause briefly to check that the team feels comfortable there is enough intel and collateral knowledge in place prior to moving on to the next stop. I see that your development DNA process and use of its innovation roadmap addresses the FDA QSR and ISO 13485 medical device development methodologies. In a development timeline, at what point do these methodologies need to be applied? That's a great question, Matt. The FDA, not only, I will call it, prescribes the detailed method by which to step a medical device through its development process, but also wants to see that the company or companies associated with the development have minted this process into their quote unquote essential DNA, meaning the process is documented within the organization's QMS known as a quality management system. So that QMS has a manual which points to a multitude of SOPs also known as standard operating procedures. Now, many of these procedures deal with the very product development realization process we are discussing today. So MIDI's innovation roadmap, which we call development DNA, is minted in our QMS and we consistently deploy it for every client. Now, often stop one, which is market exploration, and stop two, which is technology innovation and the R&D process, do not need to be constrained by ISO 1345's design controls and risk management with the application of regulations like IEC safety documents. This is reserved for stop three, which is the commercialization and implementation when you're getting ready for market. Chris, can you go into detail describing stop one in this innovation roadmap? 
Most definitely, Matt. Let's dive into this first stop, which is market exploration and discovering opportunities. It's important to mention that the FDA QSR and ISO 1345 guidance recognizes this as a quintessential activity for any business to perform, yet they make it known that their regulatory controls, such as design controls and risk management, do not have to be performed at this point. They understand the importance of a company needing to explore opportunities first. It's comforting to see that the FDA is appreciative of the operational needs of corporations in the process of medical device development almost like they're a team player. They are absolutely a team player, Matt, and don't want to impede the process of medical device development. They want to encourage it in a way that makes business sense for your company, which is why they provide the recommendation of performing what we are calling stop one on this innovation roadmap, that market exploration and discovering opportunities. Although realize that the FDA has an additional objective in mind at this stop. If we were to look ahead on this journey down the innovation roadmap, we will see that once regulatory controls are required to be put into play within the medical device development process at stop three, commercialization, there will be properties and information derived from these initial unconstrained steps, which act as the framework to inform the design controls and risk management process and allow the development team to stay on track with the collection of requirements to feed that process. So in essence, the FDA realizes that at stop three under regulatory controls, the development team will become like a ship without a rudder if this stop one of market exploration was not performed and or not performed effectively. Well, it sounds like the FDA has our back and is interested in seeing corporate success in the medical marketplace. Absolutely. Now, of course, they want the device to be designed to be effective and safe, which is what stop three, commercialization and implementation under design controls is all about. MIDI is proud to have been serving the medical device community with all three steps along the innovation roadmap for over 45 years under our development DNA approach. Now, can you take us through the details of this stop one market exploration, discovering opportunities? Sure, Matt. Although to do this, let's discuss what wearable IOMT device innovation requires at the highest level, which sets the stage for this process. So IOMT wearable device innovation has four key characteristics. One, satisfy a specific market or user need, either an unmet need resulting in a first of a kind product or an existing need resulting in an augmented product, meaning superior satisfaction of a need. A second key characteristic, that it be reproducible at an economical cost, which the market will accept. Third characteristic, be effective, including functional performance and ease of use. And a fourth key one, that it's safe to the user and to the public. For stop one, we focus on items one and two, the first two. Now, these first two characteristics of device innovation, which you mentioned, involving a company discerning specific market and user needs while doing this at an economical cost that the market will bear, providing the company profit, sounds like quite an important first step. Yep, you're correct, Matt. It's an absolute must and is setting the stage for establishing a value proposition or a value handshake between the corporation and the external stakeholders, such as the doctors, the patients, 
purchasing decision makers, insurance reimbursement, and much more. If bi-directional value is being exchanged, you will be preparing for a successful journey. Now we can decompose the value proposition into two components, external stakeholder needs and internal stakeholder needs, meaning corporate needs for, from a business perspective. It's important to start with exploring methods to obtain external needs first. This often is what unlocks innovation and competitive differentiation. Important methods that MIDI deploys in this regard are target market identification, for example, weight against your corporate goals and objectives, ranking the target markets and hitting the top tier markets first. Also looking at external stakeholder identification for your company's target markets. This is the first step in gathering external needs, which is identifying the stakeholder. As mentioned, stakeholders include not only the doctors and the patients, but any associated gatekeeper on the purchasing side and insurance reimbursement side. Next, deploying VOC, or known as voice of the customer, out in the field to observe the environment and discern current clinical needs and to explore the prospect of unmet stakeholder needs. Additionally, what's important to deploy user interaction analysis to view firsthand unspoken needs that may be revealed by field studies. And one last one to mention of, of many, doing workflow analysis and task mapping. This is key to see what is being performed by each stakeholder pre-use, during use, and post-use. So each stakeholder has their own workflow. For example, a doctor's workflow will be different from a patient. Chris, what would be the research methods or tools that MIDI deploys when discovering and uncovering internal stakeholder needs? Matt, for MIDI, the internal needs are our clients' needs from a business perspective to strategically position them in a way where they are pursuing an innovative direction, which will yield profit and a defensible market position via strategic differentiation. So the methods and tools MIDI uses in this regard include, for example, competitive market analysis tied to a ranking and rating analysis of device solution attributes to identify gaps and unmet market opportunities or insufficiently address clinical needs. Also, we'll use tools like SWOT analysis, identifying the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats of your company weighed against your competition or lack thereof. This will help identify your call to action on the ideal go-to-market path trajectory. So once you've gathered your external information, collateral and internal collateral, what is the next step? Okay. Once the data is completed and analyzed, an MRD or market requirement document is established. This sets informed direction for the next stop on the innovation journey, stop two. Chris, can you go into detail describing stop two in this uh, innovation roadmap? For sure. Let's, let's do it. Keeping the map open and diving into that second stop, which is technology innovation and R&D process, it's important to mention that the FDA QSR and ISO 1345 guidance recognizes this as a quintessential activity for any business to perform, yet they make it known that their regulatory controls, such as those design controls and risk management, don't have to be performed at that point. And the FDA recognizes the importance for an organization to explore development opportunities, methodologies, and technologies first. That's a really excellent point to emphasize. So while MIDI is working with companies whose wearable IOMT devices are in early development stages, the MIDI innovation roadmap can allow the flexibility to explore medical device solutions and technology applications prior to full design controls. 
Yes, absolutely. You're correct, Matt. All regulatory agencies want medical devices to be designed and engineered to be safe and effective. The FDA prescribes the methodology of achieving an effective and safe device, but also at the same time has recommendations for early formative exploratory development stages of an R&D process. So let's get into the Innovation Roadmap Stop 2 technology innovation, and that R&D process. So some tools we use in that regard are what we call discovery research. So MIDI's discovery research methodology is our innovation engine for identifying, collecting, and qualifying the numerous challenges, technology vectors, influencing agents, and relevant facets for a medical device's success. Through that discovery research, our team achieves a comprehensive understanding of all project development and technology parameters, as well as the user needs in their environment. Now, the information amassed in discovery research forms the building blocks for Internet of Medical Things wearable device success. Now, another tool at Stop2 we use is user needs and requirements and defining that. So advanced technology and new product development platforms help propel the medical home healthcare market forward. But the one thing that all medical device professionals know is that a proper user product experience is crucial. So wearable internet of medical things designs and development solutions that promote meaningful product lifestyle relationships and positive experiences are always fueled by safety, intuitive use, throughput, comfort, in addition to well-planned human machine interface or HMI. Now next, looking at technology requirements. So MIDI's Stop 2 also supports our clients' program by identifying opportunities to achieve IP, technology, material, and patent process protection for our clients' device programs. So while identifying and developing concepts tied to technology applications, we strive to generate sustainable value, IP protection, device efficacy, and profitability. And What's very important is we deploy during stop two what's called systems analysis, and we create a report as related to that. So based on the collected information to this point, our groups provide a fast and certain means of formulating, prioritizing, and documenting all of the R&D data discovered and uncovered during our efforts. The systems analysis refinement process yields a solid and highly detailed understanding of the client's marketing, design, and engineering needs. This step provides a certain means of formulating and prioritizing research and discoveries for the purpose of zeroing in on targeted direction that will lead to next step wearable IOMT device solutions. Wow, very thorough and detailed deep dive into identifying wearable IOMT device competitive differentiation and supporting device technology. So Chris, once the MIDI team has the R&D directives in place, how do you begin to explore early R&D formative real-world device functionality? Well, Matt, we perform iterative exploratory device conceptualization with technology research, and MIDI generates breadboard concepts with data creation and then the fabrication of those breadboards. And tied to that, we perform internal and external usage studies testing the human machine interface with those concepts. In addition, integrating a quality feedback loop of breadboard refinement. And finally, based upon the, the testing of the breadboard, we document the breadboard iterations to prepare for stop three of the innovation roadmap, which is again, commercialization and implementation, getting ready for market. Although 
realize these activities need to be supported by a strong manufacturing partner with expertise in PCB level component sensor R&D. This assists in MIDI's process of down-selecting the components, which will integrate into our PCBs within the IOMT wearable devices we design and engineer. We often team with Valence Cell on this activity. Excellent segue, Chris. Now, I'd like to introduce an expert in this area. Our guest speaker is Ryan Crudell, VP of Valence Cell. Valence Cell makes the biometric sensor tech that gets integrated into consumer medical wearables. Thanks for being with us today, Ryan, and we would love to hear more about what Valencell provides to the medical development market. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate you having me on and um, look forward to the discussion here. As you mentioned, the Valencell makes the biometric sensor technology and sensor systems that uh, get integrated in, into consumer and medical wearable devices. And specifically, we focus on what are known as PPG sensors. The that PPG is short for photoplethysmography, but no one wants to spe- say or spell photoplethysmography, so we shorten it to PPG. Uh, the easy way to think about it is the green blinking lights on the back of a smartwatch or a fitness band. Uh, that is what's known as a PPG sensor and very likely uh, some form of valence cell technology embedded in that sensor system. What those green blinking lights are doing, and we use other wavelengths besides green, but green is a very common one, is uh, shining light into the body, measuring how much of that light is reflected back based on blood flow. From that, we're able to get uh, a variety of different biometric signals, uh, heart rate being the most common one. And uh, as we've deployed this technology on close to 70 different devices now that have come to market over the years, We've uh, utilized that for everything from heart rate monitoring to heart rate variability, cardiac efficiency, pulse ox or or blood oxygenation. And we can even now do uh, blood pressure with this same sensor technology that we've put into a variety of different consumer wearables. But taking a step back from that, we to take a look at what's going on more broadly in the marketplace, uh, there's, uh, there's a significant convergence going on between consumer wearable devices and health and medical devices. You take a look at any of the recent announcements from the consumer wearables uh, leaders in, uh, in the form of Apple and Fitbit or now Google, uh, Garmin, Samsung, others, they're all becoming uh, at minimum personal health devices, if not outright medical devices. And that's certainly gotten the attention of the medical device sector and the the health and medical sector more broadly. And those companies are now building devices that are uh, wearable and intended to be worn outside of a medical facility, which is certainly um, for the most part, a a different uh, exploration for them. And so Valence Cell sits in in the middle of this or at the heart of this convergence, if you will. Um, and enables both of those categories of companies. And really what's, what we're seeing here is, um, is that we're at the cusp of what we refer to as the, the third generation of wearable devices. If you think about the first generation, those were highlighted by the, the, uh, the first generation Fitbit activity trackers that used accelerometry-based um, uh, sensor systems to generate uh, step counts and calorie counts and just overall basic activity levels. And that was useful to a certain extent, 
But um, as we moved into the second generation of wearable devices, you saw the, the um, PPG sensors become more dominant in uh, the marketplace and uh, mainly because they can provide much deeper insights into how an individual's body is responding to their activities at the time and over long periods of time, whether that's, uh, let's say, in an exercise session or running a marathon or a 5K or managing a disease or um, any everything in between. So um, that's how PPG sensors really came to, to dominate the, the sensor systems in this second generation of wearable devices. And now we're at the cusp of this third generation where you're seeing these insights and these wearable devices being applied to health and medical use cases and uh, validated uh, devices that are often regulatory cleared for uh, specific disease states or uh, disease conditions in, in the application of the sensor technology to uh, help uh, alleviate those, uh, those uh, disease conditions or serve as an adjunct therapy to uh, existing either pharmacotherapies or, or um, uh, other therapeutic approaches. And so uh, where we're seeing the most attention in this area, the most traction in this area is um, specifically in the, in the realms of cardiovascular monitoring, not surprisingly, given the, the, the nature of these sensor systems monitoring uh, blood flow characteristics, but also respiratory conditions, uh, diabetes management, and, uh, and even more so now uh, things around hypertension management and uh, helping people manage high blood pressure. Can you explain who, who the customers are that you're doing this for? Yeah, we can speak to um, some of our customers um, uh, more so on the, on the consumer side today um, uh, that uh, are more uh, publicly known and, and uh, allow us to talk about our work together. Uh, and these are large uh, multinational organizations like Sony and Samsung and LG and Jabra and Bose and many others on that side of things. Um, and, and then also on the, the health and medical side of things, um, the companies we can talk about publicly, uh, at least at this point, um, are uh, companies like Sana Health, who is making a, a truly innovative um, mask that helps people uh, manage their pain, uh, both chronic and acute pain, uh, on par with opioids. And given the the uh, opioid addiction uh, crisis, uh, certainly here in the US, uh, it's great to see new technologies coming to market that can help address that uh, without any, uh, any pharmaceuticals or, or opioids at all. Another major uh, medical partner of ours is a company called SunTech Medical, and they make, uh, they're actually one of the largest manufacturers of blood pressure cuffs in the world. And uh, we're doing some, uh, well, a variety of different collaborations with SunTech uh, in using uh, their technology in the blood pressure cuffs in combination with our PPG sensor technology to uh, provide continuous blood pressure monitoring between uh, cuff inflations. It, it, um, one of the, the um, uh, elements of using a blood pressure cuff obviously requires the uh, inflation of that cuff, which restricts blood flow, which means you can only 
use those cuffs once every few minutes or so in, um, in the context of measuring blood pressure. And uh, in, a, in an emergency situation, as an, as an example, or in the case of someone who's going through a dialysis treatment, uh, sometimes the, the blood pressure changes between those cuff readings can be extremely important to the health of that individual patient. And so we're providing visibility into that, uh, the, that blood pressure in real time between those cuff readings. Can you tell us what uh, valence cells approach is as related to wearable IOMT sensor selection? Yeah, good question. It's um, uh, similar in, uh, in the approach that, that Chris outlined uh, a few minutes ago. And it really, um, it really starts with uh, starting with the end in mind, if you will. And that sounds very obvious. And, and, but unfortunately, it's easy to get lost in the, in the product development process and the, the uh, strategic planning process in uh, building out these uh, devices and, and perhaps a portfolio of devices. But when we say start with the end in mind, what is that, uh, what is that problem you're trying to solve? What is that patient outcome you are trying to achieve? And work backwards from there in determining what assessments need, are needed in order to drive that patient outcome or generate that user experience you're looking for. And from there, you, you can look at, at one step backwards to what are the, the biometric signals? What are the biometric uh, measurements that you need to make in order to generate those assessments, which drive those patient outcomes. And then once you have the, the metrics that you need to measure, then you have a much clearer picture of the sensor technology that can, that can measure those metrics in the device that, and the form factor and uh, the user experience that you are, are, are looking to support in driving that patient outcome. So it's really um, uh, working backwards from and always keeping in mind what is that, what's that patient outcome? As Chris described it, what's that, what's that market need that you are addressing? And working backwards from there, all the way back to the sensor technology that eventually gets embedded in uh, the device in question. Now you mentioned hypertension management earlier. Let's come back to that as an example. Can you tell me how this approach is applied to managing high blood pressure? Yeah, so this is an area that um, unfortunately has not seen a lot of innovation over the course of well many decades. And in fact, we like to say that that hypertension management will change more in the next five years than it has in the last hundred, and that's. A fairly bold statement, but let me um, uh, give you some rationale for why we believe that. First and foremost is the, the sensor technology and uh, the blood pressure cuffs that are in use today are uh, effectively the same technology that came to market in 1911 uh, as an inflatable cuff that um, you listen to the escultatory sounds through a, a stethoscope and that is uh, the majority of blood pressure or how the majority of blood pressure readings are still taken today. Now, fortunately, technologies like valence cells and others are bringing cuffless calibration free uh, technologies to market that can be embedded in devices that people wear on a regular basis that at a minimum provide a, 
uh, an alternative to blood pressure cuffs in, in terms of the form factor and the device used. But very soon you will see those providing truly passive, uh, continuous blood pressure monitoring while people go about their, their daily activities. But the sensor technology is just one element of this, uh, this dramatic change that's going on in, in hypertension management. Um, the second one is, is around care delivery and, and more specifically the, this macro level trend of healthcare moving outside of the four walls of a, healthcare, of a hospital or healthcare facility and moving into people's homes and daily lives. And you see that in the, the dramatic growth of remote patient monitoring and digital therapeutics and, and digital health more broadly. Uh, certainly the, uh, the COVID pandemic was an accelerant of these, these trends that were already in place pre-pandemic, but uh, those have, have only accelerated in, uh, the, um, in, in the COVID environment as well. Uh, and the last but certainly not least is you always want to follow the money and uh, the payer models associated with not just hypertension management, but healthcare delivery more broadly are finally starting to shift from fee-for-service into value-based care. And that value-based care has, much, has a much larger focus on uh, prevention and early detection, which requires regulator, regular monitoring. And uh, the easier you can make that monitoring, uh, like using a wearable device that, that people like to wear anyway and get additional value out of, the better you're able to um, catch some of these conditions like hypertension management uh, earlier to uh, take evasive action and uh, apply the right uh, healthcare needs or preventative care uh, before the, the patient gets too far down the road and, um, and has uh, very painful and, and costly outcomes for them and, and the system more broadly. So, um, it's starting with that end in mind. How do you detect uh, hypertension and, and uh, high blood pressure trends earlier in the process, apply those digital therapeutics and, and preventative measures to then, um, to then get them on the right path and, and prevent them from going down the, the, the path of hypertension and all the comorbidities associated with it. Thank you so much, Ryan. Your valence cell approach and the sensors that support that approach are quite impressive. So Chris, swinging it back to you, what's next? Most definitely, Matt. Now in next week's podcast, episode five, we will explore applying MIDI's innovation roadmap, stop three, commercialization and implementation, which is getting wearable IOMT devices ready for market. We're going to demonstrate how to commercialize these devices utilizing the roadmap steps from our development DNA approach. And with this approach, MIDI's team of engineers and usability experts tied to their industrial designers have the ability to deploy Development DNA's innovation roadmap addressing the functional, lifestyle, cost of manufacture, safety, and business requirements of what I'm going to call the quote-unquote golden standard approach, which is paired with the follow-through to execute upon that approach in a rapid agile product development fashion under MIDI's quality first umbrella. The next podcast, episode five in this series, 
We'll explore MIDI's Innovation Roadmap Stop 3 to address wearable IOMT challenges, yielding innovations. This Stop 3 involves commercialization and implementation, getting ready for market under regulatory design controls.